The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. TV and streaming time with Joe Shane, Jennifer Gannon. And Jennifer, it looks like Conversations with Friends, the second adaptation of a Sally Rooney novel, has not been the type of hit with viewers that normal people was. Yeah, I mean, on average, they said of 156,000 people tuned in to watch it the first episode, but then 30,000 of them switched off by the second episode. Which came followed directly followed, afterwards. Yeah. No, I think the cro- audience crossover-wise, the finale of Derry Girls was on at the same time. And so I think that probably ate into the figures, the viewing figures. But I I thought, I always thought this was going to be so much more of a harder sell than um, normal people because it's a very internal story. Like both Francis and Nick, the, the two main characters, in a, they're having an affair. But Francis is a very introverted character and the book is mostly made up of her interior monologue. So I was wondering how they were going to portray this and get over that particular hurdle. And But then most viewers wouldn't have known that coming to it. I mean, there haven't been probably that many people who've read the book. So mm. there would have been an enormous amount, I thought, of people who would have come on the back of, of normal people. Normal people. It's not a story about though with normal people I think you had that kind of free son of excitement because it's a, you know two young people falling in love and it's very much a and everyone a, was locked down at the time exactly but it's very much the kind telly of at home. a coming of age story whereas this is the conversation with friends all the characters are insufferable and I think your tolerance for it will depend on if you can bear these very pretentious notionsy kind of conversations and meetings that they have meetings of minds the force them have I was calling it you know mumblecore and inchicore because <laughs> the performances are very, especially Nick, who's played by Mr. Taylor Swift, Joe Alwyn. Um, he's aiming for this kind of low-key performance, but it's 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 failing for me. And I think he's painful to watch because he lacks charisma and he's, he's kind of very robotic. And I, I kept on saying, I, I can imagine Donald Gleeson playing this role and I couldn't get it out of my head then. And I was disappointed by him. And a lot of the reviews are the same. They're disappointed by his lack of engagement with the material. He just feels very stilted in it or something. I don't know, I wasn't. But I will say Alison Oliver, who is Frances, who is the new find, Louise Kiley's new find. And as we know, she has a star making touch. We know she discovered Paul Meskell. So she's great. She's brilliant. Georgia, I didn't expect you to be among the 156,000 people who were estimated to have watched. Those are disappointing figures, I'd imagine, of RT for a half past nine showing. They are, but but it, you got to remember they, 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 the episodes were back to back, and that was a drop off in the audience. But even starting off, that is disappointing. You have, I mean, Derry Girls, the finale was on, also the Europa League final, and you know that went to a pretty dramatic finale as well. And I think a lot of people were kind of switching over to that as well as the prospect of Rangers getting beaten in in, in extra time. Or so it's. And penalties, as it turns out. And penalties, and everybody loves penalties as well. Like you know, so I think people might have been switching over to that and, and waiting to see that. It's, it, it was never, as you said, like the, for for mopey people, we we were literally locked into our our own homes, you know. So we couldn't. People were were capt, a captive, literally a captive audience. You don't have the same with this. And it just, it can't, it can, it's never going to have the same impact. It probably will grow an audience and find an audience because there is an audience out there for, for it. But I don't think RT and I don't think the people behind making it, I don't think they're going to be panicking just yet.
Okay. Uh, does, I, you're not a fan of Derry Girls, so you probably weren't watching the finale of no, that either, Joe, were you? Either. No, no, no. No, uh, Europa League all of the way. I know that Derry Girls, it, it was interesting, and I know what you're leading on to here, because there was some a very interesting phenomenon on social media where people were saying uh, on Twitter and everywhere, basically, that they'd learned more about Northern Ireland and the Good Friday Agreement from the, you know, the last five minutes of the last episode of Derry Girls than they ever had done in school in England. And that chimed exactly with my experience I lived in London for five years up, up until fairly recently and people over there really didn't know the first thing about uh, Northern Ireland educated people didn't know the first thing about Ireland most people it was some sort of kind of Narnia place that you had to remind them was part of their own actual country so Derry Girls has performed especially in the in the times we are now and in this week when again the Good Friday Agreement is under attack from the people who want to save uh, or claim to want to save the Good Friday Agreement the people who want to trash the protocol the people you know Boris Johnson who wants to use it as a sort of a, 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 you know an endless vindictive generating machine against the EU it's it's interesting that Derry Girls has kind of humanised that story, the Good Friday Agreement, the peace process and everything that has come from that from a very, very large British audience. It's, it's, it's a valuable um, you know, thing that, that Derry Girls has done. But Jennifer, that was a sort of a side element yeah. to what was basically a comedy show and entertainment, which seems to have lived up to expectations for the final series. I definitely think so. And I think it made it, it such an impact because it's so warm and so funny and audience audiences really engaged with the characters and they wanted, by virtue of that, they wanted to understand the history, that history of that time. And it's an amazing legacy for Lisa McGee to have. And I think... Obviously, as well, shows the importance of a station like Channel 4, which has come under fire from the very oblivious Nadine Dorries, who's the UK Culture Secretary. And I think Channel 4 consistently gives opportunities to young writers, especially comedy writers, and gives them the freedom to tell their own story. And we've seen that from the days back in the day of Father Ted, right through to someone like Michaela Cole with Chewing Gum and even now with Jamie Dimitri's uh, Stat Let's Flats. I think Derry Girls was this unexpected smash hit as well because it tapped into that 90s and 2000s nostalgia as well as having these very memorable, well-drawn characters and this really gorgeous emotional core. And I think that's what a lot of people were talking about with the finale. It, it never veers too much into being too cheesy. It has this perfect balance of kind of light and shade. And I think the finale really showcased that in spades. It definitely did. I'm sure many people have seen the photographs of the actor Kenneth Branagh uh, with a remarkable makeup job looking extremely like the aforementioned Boris Johnson for part of a new series called This England. So let's hear the trailer for it. In you, Johnny, 2020 will be a year of prosperity. This Covid virus we need to keep an eye on. 500,000 deaths. That is a worst case scenario. The single best thing we can all do is wash our hands. We need to stop mugging the whole pavement. You must stay at home. I have a hunch that Johnson will come to regret securing the Premiership. Isn't it some of actual jobs? Give me a heads up. The United Kingdom has overtaken Italy to report the highest official death toll. Not a Channel 4 programme, because you'd imagine there'd be a British government clamped down on that. But Joe Shea, this is very interesting because this is a drama series written and co-directed by Michael Winterbottom uh, from the road to Guantanamo, 24-hour party people, the trip. It's going to be on Sky Atlantic later this year. And if it's coming from Winterbottom, I would expect that this might not necessarily be um, 
adoring of Boris Johnson. No. No, and it's very interesting. Uh, the, the trailer is, uh, even though it's only what in less than a minute long, and you only it, it does that thing when you get a famous actor playing a famous contemporary person. They only show you Branagh as Boris Johnson at the very end. It's he looks incredibly like Johnson, and he sounds incredibly like Johnson. Michael Winterbottom is not, you wouldn't think. Uh, who, by the way, is a class act, and the Trip and Twenty Four Hour Party People are two of the fav- my favorite uh, shows of all time. Um, He's obviously not wouldn't be regarded as a friend of the Tories. This is a very interesting show, and you can see it in, in Ireland beyond Sky Atlantic. But now we'll also have it as well at the same time, which gives it to you know as wide an audience as can pay for it in Ireland. It's going to be fascinating because it's it's instant history, and you know as we're still even today, even be, as I was coming into the studio here in Cork to talk to you, there was more stuff coming out, new photographs coming out of Boris Johnson in his flat having a drink during the worst of the period of the lockdown. It's going to be fascinating, and it could really kind of like hit at a time when Boris Johnson is going to be in a lot of problem and crystallise that kind of public opinion or at least put it right up there on the screen and show people what was going on. I think it's going to be one of the most important shows of, of, of 2022. I mean, I hope it is, but I think the quality of Michael Winterbottom's output uh, varies. And I think something like Greed and something like The Killer Inside Me just didn't hit the mark. And I hope it's as biting as it should be. But I think a lot of people are going to be distracted by looking at Kenneth Branagh. It's a bit like Michael Sheen as Chris Tarrant in Quiz. And he looked a bit like a haunted waxwork of like Nicholas Witchell. Like, I think that's going to be distracting. I think I preferred something I for the moment until I see it. I liked to help the miniseries with Stephen Graham and Jodie Comer because it was written by Jack Thorne. Because it concentrated on normal people and it wasn't about the corridors of power. It was about ordinary people and how the decisions by Boris and co brought care workers and their families to their knees. And it was merciless. And I just hope that, you know, this by Michael Winterbottom will be the same, whether it includes Pardigate or not, but it, it needs to be really severe. Stranger Things, Jen, is back on Friday. Yes. What series is this? I, I gave up on it <laughs> back series near the end of the first the season. The oldest children yeah. in the, America are back. <laughs> They're, you know, with their unseemly haircuts. And the length of the episodes of the new series is, is just causing complete controversy because they're all clocking in at about an hour and 20 minutes and then... That's the, almost like a full-length feature movie. There's two episodes in the finale which has been split into two. It's coming in July. So the, the finale of season four, there's another season after this. But they're coming in at a whopping two hours and 30 minutes and it feels, for me, a bit like an endurance test like rather than this fun, nostalgic sci-fi show that it used to be. And... I just think, you know, by the time the finale, like the real, like the season five, the finale comes around, I think people will be sick of it. I'm thinking, like, no doubt it'll be as long as Shower. Joe, like, have you stuck with Stranger Things? No, I couldn't. I got. I think I did a season and a half, but it does, like, it's also costing $30 million an episode at this stage, by the way. What? Um, yeah, $30 million an episode. It's it's an, it's obscene, almost. It's like, you know, they came up with a, with a really, really good gourmet burger, which you really liked eating the first couple of times, and then they just kept making the burger bigger and bigger and bigger and it's it's ridiculous I mean I got halfway through the second series and I was doing that kind of that really marquee Netflix drama thing where something happened at the start then there was 45 minutes of faffing about and sort of plot development and sort of character development and then something dramatic happened at the end and then bang tune in next week or you know go to the next episode immediately 
I can't see where, how people are still tuning into this thing, but they must be because Netflix wouldn't be spending $30 million an episode. Well, maybe otherwise. they would because they were spending very badly maybe up until recently. Now they're starting yeah. all the cutbacks. There's about 150 staff been made redundant now, Joe. Yeah, it's it's... This story got a lot of play. Now, it's only 2% of their total North American workforce, 150 staff. But what it's been seen as, and what Netflix, interestingly, what Netflix said themselves, this is because of not only a slump in new members joining, which was always the kind of the Netflix kind of model. We're always expanding, always getting bigger, always finding new audiences, new markets. They've actually had people leaving um, Netflix, and that is a really, really like, writing on the wall thing for for uh, for uh, you know for an organiz- for an organization like Netflix, which has built on this endless expansion joint joint audience market. So I think why a lot of attention has been given to this because most of the content creators I have seen that have lost their jobs have been people from minority backgrounds who are hired supposedly to broaden the focus of Netflix. There's you know and who have brought popular shows to the table like Heartstopper and uh, Squid Game, and it's really not a good look because they went on this diversity drive in 2020 and now those people are the ones that are being made redundant um, and that does not look good optics wise and I think they're in free fall now. I mean anecdotally I know of so many people that have cancelled their subscription because of the price hike and I don't think that Netflix they don't think Netflix is offering them the quality shows that you know to justify the price of this and I think they'll just have to have a rethink about their strategy and you know there's news items now about them bringing in, wanting to bring in advertising or have live content so like they're just going to be following the linear TV model um, and they just have the pressure because the competition is so great. You have Disney Plus, HBO Max in America and Apple TV, which is now really becoming the place for quality TV. And these are all businesses which have alternative revenue mm. streams outside of just streaming. Apple can do it as an afterthought almost, pump as much money in. So can Amazon. Yeah. Disney has other things. I think Netflix is big trouble. Anyway, let's get into our picks of the week. I want to start with you, uh, Joe. And uh, you've picked one involving Ardell O'Hanlon, who'll be with us on the programme later in the week, talking about his new novel, Brouhaha. But you are interested in a TV documentary he's made as well. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not normally a fan of comedians doing history. Kind of, it's a format that actually, as well, has kind of like really gone out of fashion now. But I do like Ardell O'Hanlon a lot because I think he's an interesting, thoughtful guy. I really liked his showband stock. I thought that was fantastic. And this is a very interesting one. It's called Ardell O'Hanlon Tomb Raider, and it's on RT1 on Thursday at 10.15pm. Uh, and basically he's retracing these ar- archaeological and anthropological expeditions uh, by, um, that went across Ireland in the 1930s. A team from Harvard University, a Nazi archaeologist from Austria and a, and a Welsh geographical <laughs> professor. Okay. And what they were doing was they were looking to find the origin of Irish man, basically. And it's all a bit mad and there's phrenology and there's kind of Nazi overtones to kind kind of like the Celtic race and where they came from and all this kind of stuff. But I think Ardlahan is going to do a very good job of telling this very forgotten story. And there's also bits in there about how the Irish, the two Irish states at the time, the Free State and, and Northern Ireland, kind of built their own kind of national myth by going and looking at this these archaeological sites and our great kind of ancient history. So it's Ardlahan and Tomb Raider, Thursday, 10.15pm on RT1. Well, he'll be with us, as I said, either Wednesday or Thursday about his new book, but we'll talk to him about that as well. Jennifer, you have one picked out for this week, which which I'm actually looking forward to seeing as well. Uh, the Flight Attendant, season yeah, two. The season, season one was 
good fun. It was. It was just such a proper caper. It was that great mix of action and comedy and drama. And it's the, this kind of, you know, chaotic multi-genre show that we've seen. I think its biggest influence is like probably the first season of Killing Eve. And it stars the Big Bang Theories, uh, Kaylee Cuoco, as the titular flight attendant, Cassie. And the last time the plot revolved around Cassie's drinking, leading her into trouble. And now she's sober. She's moonlighting as a CIA agent in Berlin in her spare time, as you do. And she's attempting to get her life back in order um, after it's left in complete disarray in season one. And she's trying to maintain her sobriety at the same time. It's an international spy adventure now. It's it's pretty much one of those. And it's kind of in this kind of Hitchcockian nod. She has a doppelganger that ends. she ends up getting accused of a murder and they're trying to frame her. And it really doesn't matter for me really what the plot is, because I really think that her performance is just so uh, engaging. It's a screwball comedy type of performance that you can imagine Jennifer Aniston would have done you know years ago and it just works so well because not only is it this high stakes thriller it's also grounded by this very high stakes emotional journey that is really compelling because of her performance Your last word is 0874100102 Dan says the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney Plus makes Stranger Things look like Junior V Hurling <laughs> and another listener says Kenobi and Disney Plus biggest release this week is it? Yeah it is. Well, I mean, it's going to be. That's, you know, the Star Wars universe. Like, and they're not going to stop pulling characters out of it. Like, someone that they hid down the side of the back of a radiator on the Millennium Falcon. We back might in talk the day. about that next Monday. So, thank you very much, Jennifer Gannon and Joe O'Shea. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.